0: Us today. Thank you. Double duty on the mic stand today. Hey, I'm so thankful you're here today. It's Fourth of July weekend. It's a beautiful weekend. In mid year celebrations, you're here to prioritize your growing in, in God's word. And so I'm so thankful for that. Uh, we are in a series. Oh, by the way, I'm. So- Nehemiah. Not always a familiar Old Testament story for many, but it's a really great story. And it's biblical lessons for rebuilders. Biblical lessons for rebuilders. If you have that first slide for me, Charlie. Is it working? Sermon slide. There you go. That's it. Good man. Guy just stepped in uh, from the bench, and we're so thankful for that. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Biblical Lessons for Rebuilders, and this is really an, an inspiring, we hope, summer series as we look through this book together, and the idea is it's about renewal and restoration. And Now, maybe there's personal renewal and restoration God's doing in your heart, or maybe it's uh, a renewal and restoration in the church, um, which, you know, again, we're coming out of a season of COVID, or maybe it's renewal and restoration of God's kingdom influence in our culture, Either way, we're talking about rebuilding and we have biblical lessons. Now, if we've been through, if you've been here, we've gone through three chapters. Today, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and I tried to summarize them into one word just to catch you up. Nehemiah chapter 1, I would say, is about inspiration, okay? Nehemiah is a guy. He's really not even a prophet. They don't call him that. He's just a guy. But at his time when he was working, his people, the the nation of Israel, was scattered because of their disobedience. They were kicked out of their land, and in fact, their city was wrecked. The walls were torn down, everything was in shreds. Uh, There's a parallel story of the book of Ezra where they're trying to raise up the the, uh, altar as well. But Nehemiah, regular guy, gets this inspiration about, hey, I want to go and help rebuild my city I want to help rebuild the walls of my city. So he gets this inspiration. Second chapter, opportunity. He prays to God, hey, I have this vision, I have this sense, I want to rebuild the walls. Lord, will you give me the opportunity to be able to do it? And and God answers that prayer. His boss, the king, not a Christian king, not a godly king, gives him everything he needs to go and rebuild the walls. So he gets the opportunity. Chapter three, we talked about this last week, community. One guy building one city wall, never going to work. So he gets everyone together and organizes them in a great book, and it's a chapter on just names of people that are doing the work. It's community. Everyone's taking their, their side of the wall, and they're starting to build it, and uh, this means community. Now, today, I couldn't summarize it in one word. I'm so sorry. Uh, so it's dealing with discouragement, dealing with discouragement. I could have said discouragement because there's a lot of it in, in chapter 4, but it's not just discouragement, blah, blah. He's dealing with discouragement. Anyone else ever have to deal with being discouraged? That reminds me, what does this have to do with us today? Every act of renewal or restoration or desire to grow in our faith is going to be met with opposition. It's true. Every sense we have of trying to grow in our faith is going to be met with some form of opposition, some form of discouragement. It might be external. It might be people in our lives or people around us that are discouraging. It might be internal, you know, voices in our head or aches and pains that will try to discourage us from that work of renewal. So today I want to talk about from Nehemiah chapter 4, how do we deal with discouragement as we seek to rebuild in our own faith or maybe in the church's mission or maybe in God's kingdom in our present culture. So to prepare you for that, I have a reading for you, but it's not from Nehemiah. It's from Jesus, as quoted in Matthew chapter 5. And this is one of the ways that Jesus challenges us to deal with discouragement. So I want to set you up with this before we get into Nehemiah chapter 4. So please stand for reading from God's Word. This is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. This is the words of Jesus himself when he says to us, Blessed are you when people revile you or persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me on my account. In fact, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Then he goes on to say, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness ever be restored? It's no longer good for anything. It's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So after no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light for all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much again for being here. Book of Nehemiah now. Now we're going to... 450 years before Jesus said those words, Nehemiah's got his inspiration. He's got the opportunity. He's got the people. Now he's starting the work of rebuilding the walls. And again, I mentioned there's a parallel story in the book of Ezra about rebuilding the altar. And these are two kind of parallel stories. The point is that that the rebuilding of the walls represents something special for the people of Israel. It's their space, and the rebuilding of the walls represents Israel's protection, because walls keep enemies out, but it's also their distinction. Walls give like a barrier, a boundary, and so it both represents their protection and their distinction as God's covenant people, and the walls are going to create a real space where God can be worshipped in spirit and in truth. You get that? So they're trying to rebuild the wall to just have a special space where they can worship God in spirit and truth and be together as God's covenant people, both protected and different. Now, at the time that Nehemiah gets this vision, we already know the walls have been torn down. They're they're in shreds and tatters. And the people have been kicked out and scattered all over the land because of their disobedience. But now they're starting to come back. And now it is a time for rebuilding and restoration. Now, I'll remind you again, and I'm going to probably remind you one other time before I'm done. What this story is going to show us is that almost every time, and I'll even just say every time, there's an attempt at spiritual revival. There's going to be waves of discouragement that wash over. It just happens. That's our story for today. Now, I'm going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, great. If you want to follow along with me, great. Otherwise, if you want to sit and enjoy a great story, This is Nehemiah chapter 4. Again, he's got the inspiration, build the wall, opportunity, communities around it. but now, oh, discouragement, dealing with discouragement, Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me pray before we open up again God's word. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for these ancient words. Thank you for its realness. Lord, I pray today you would use this story to encourage our hearts in a real way today. So we submit ourselves to you before your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 4. Okay, it begins with the work is being done, and now it says, Now when Sanballat, and we talked about him in chapter 2, does he sound like a good guy based on his name? No, I don't, hear, I don't meet many people named Sanballat anymore. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he began to mock and tease the Jews. He said in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those weak Jews even doing? I mean, how are they going to restore that wall? Are they going to sacrifice to their God there? Will they even finish it in a day? <laughs> how are they going to revive the stones out of the heaps of trash and the burned ones at that? Then his friend, Tobiah the Ammonite, he was next to him and he said, hey, that stone wall that they're building, even a fox, little tiny animal, even a little fox going up on it would probably break it down. <laughs> So what does Nehemiah do to these teases and taunts? He prays. And he prays like this. Hear, O our God, for we are so despised. Now turn their teasings and their taunts back back on their own heads. Will you give them over as plunder in the land of captivity? And God, don't ever cover their guilt. Don't let their sin be blotted out in your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. Amen. Strange prayer. So we continued rebuilding the wall, he says, and the wall was joined together, about half of its original height, but the people had a mind to work. Okay, now when Sanbalat and Tobiah, along with the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites, they heard that the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was going on ahead, but there were, and there were gaps from the beginning until it was closed, they got then very angry, and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So, Nehemiah says, so we prayed to our God and we set as a guard as protection against them day and night. So they prayed and acted. Next, Nehemiah is going to get some discouraging news from even his own people. Because the people of Judah, Israel's also covenant people, came to him and they said, you know, the strength of our burden barriers is getting weak. They're failing. And there's just too much trash. We're unable to work on the wall. And then we overheard our enemies saying, well, we don't know or see anything. We won't even see them coming. And we're going to kill them, or we're going to stop the work. And then the Jews came to Nehemiah, who lived nearby, and they said to us ten times, well, from all the places our enemies live, they're going to come up against us. So in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, Nehemiah said, I, in the open spaces, I positioned people, each according to their families, and I gave them a sword and spears and bows. So again, you got God's own people kind of grumbling. Nehemiah responds by positioning the people with with some weapons. After I looked things over, he said, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and all the people, I said, don't be afraid of our enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. But that didn't solve the problem. When our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God had frustrated it and that we all returned to the wall, each to his work from that day on. Half of my servants worked on construction. Half of them had to hold spears and shields and bows and body armor. And the leaders posted themselves behind the house of Judah, who were also doing the building of the wall. And the burden barriers, those who were carrying the loads, they had to carry them in such a way that each one worked their work with one hand and in the other hand held a weapon. And each one of the builders also had a sword strapped to his side when he built. And the man who was to sound the trumpet, he was standing there beside me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, This work is great, and it's widely spread out, and we're separated far from each other on the wall. But rally all of us together whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, because our God will fight for us. So we continued laboring, working at the wall, Half of them held spears in their hands from the break of the early morning dawn until the stars came out. Then I said to the people at that time, hey, let's let every man and servant sleep the night here in Jerusalem so that they may be on guard for us by night and we can work together during the day. So neither I nor my brothers or my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me ever took off our clothes, never rested. Each one kept his weapon in his right hand the whole time they worked. This is also the word of the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, Nehemiah chapter 4. Again, he's he's facing opposition and discouragement from outsiders and even from his own people who are grumbling about the work. And so what this chapter offers us is three lessons. I saw three lessons in here on how we can deal with discouragement, especially when we're trying to renew in our spiritual walk. Now, the first thing you'll notice that Nehemiah does when he faces discouragement is he goes to the Lord in prayer. He goes straight to the Lord in prayer, and then he acts as God, I guess, directs him. Now, let me remind you one more time any effort you ever take to try to revive or grow in your spiritual walk, you're going to be met with discouragement. Well, that's not great news, but I'm sorry, it's true. And I'm so thankful to the multitude of mentors I've had in my life from the very time I gave my life to Jesus until today that have told me that, because it really helps to know that's going to be true. And it just is true. Anytime we try to take a walk forward or step more confidently in our spirituality, maybe even take on a new practice, we're going to be hit with waves and waves of discouragement. And I'm so thankful for those mentors who warned me about that. Now, one answer to that is just, well, complacency. Well, I'll tell you what, if it's going to be hard work, then I'm probably not going to do it. That's sometimes my motto anyway. I'll just be content where I am and maybe not even move towards maturity in Christ or maybe not try to press in and seek to understand more truth or maybe don't try to live with more passion or worship in my life. But that, my friends, would be faith without works. So I wouldn't recommend that. The other answer when we feel waves of discouragement as we're trying to grow in our spiritual walk, is to press in deeper to God. That's the whole point, press in deeper to God. And when you face discouragement, go straight to God in honest prayer. Now, we got to talk. we got to talk about Nehemiah's botched prayer. Did you hear it? Lord, Lord, you hear us and you're so good, but will you give my enemies over as plunder and don't ever forgive them because they cursed the work that we're doing. Now, I got to tell you, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, does include these kind of prayer bloopers. It's like a blooper reel of prayer. They really are because we're not supposed to take that prayer and be like, okay, well, it's in the Bible. I guess that's a good way to pray. It's really not. But the Bible gives us these kind of prayer bloopers so that we know that we can still go to God and be raw and honest in our prayers. And that's exactly what we read in Nehemiah. He was just being raw and honest and being honest. And so in our moments of discouragement, we can go to God with our prayers. Now, of course, we had a reading earlier today. as We learned from our Lord Jesus, who corrected us in that, who said, hey, he called us the same thing. Go and always pray, but instead of being honest and saying, Lord, will you smack them, smack my enemies, instead maybe even offering a blessing to those who curse us. But the point of being honest in prayer, and I think the most honest we can be, is to go to God and say, today, God, I'm feeling discouraged, and I'm being discouraged by, and just name it. That's what it means to be honest with God, going to God with your honest prayers. You know, I think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18, which tells us to rejoice, always pray without ceasing. In fact, give thanks in every circumstance. This is God's will. So when we're feeling discouraged, Not not hiding from God and thinking, well, now I can't pray because I'm not feeling right. But go straight to Him with honest, honest prayer. Now, I have really used this a lot in my my own walk. It's really helped me. There have been many times, still today, where I try to take an extra effort and kind of grow. in maybe my own devotion or maybe in prayer life or, or, or in my love for neighbor or something like that. And I think I'm doing well in the beginning. And then I start getting hit with all kinds of discouragements. Now, for me, most of them are internal. My brain attacks me all the time with wicked thoughts, and even my body, sometimes if I take on a new prayer effort or something like that, suddenly I'll start getting weird aches and pains. Maybe it's just getting older, but it just seems like the timing is there. But it's also even external. Then suddenly things around me would start breaking down, and people would disappoint me, and there's strife in my family and other places, and it just feels like I'm under attack. And one of the most honest things that I can do, and it's been so helpful, is go straight to God and say, God, I'm really feeling discouraged today. I was trying to grow. And now today I'm just really feeling discouraged. Can you help me? See, God wants to walk with you through your best days. But he also wants to walk with you on your worst moments. Go to him with your discouragement and just be honest. Today, Lord, I'm, I'm discouraged. The second thing we saw in Nehemiah's story in chapter 4 is the priority of surrounding yourself with godly people, surrounding yourself with godly people, godly friends. Did you notice that whenever he was facing these discouragements, immediately Nehemiah responded by, okay, we're kind of too spread out here. Let's even things out a little bit. Let's start organizing things and kind of keep everybody in a specific order. He even positioned people behind the people of Judah who are the most fearful, like, it's okay, we got your back, literally. This visual reminds us of the importance of maintaining community. Maintaining community. A regular interaction with godly people, which thankfully church offers. This is one of the things that we do best. Now, there are very few of us that naturally lean into community when we're feeling discouraged. In fact, most of us probably do the opposite. We hide. We run and hide. We say things to ourselves like, ah, just, I just need some time for myself, or I just need to sort things out myself. Here's some news for you. You are rarely your best spiritual counselor. It's just not, it doesn't work that way. We're rarely our best owned spiritual counselor. We need the church. I need the church. We need the church. We need that side-by-side friendships that come with being together in truth and in love and on mission. I think about a, a friend, this was a good guy, this was at my previous church, good young guy, he, he had come to Christ and was really growing, and he was actually serving then in our, our youth ministry as a leader, and was just doing great, the kids really liked him, he was, you know, he was a big guy, he was tons of fun, and then all of a sudden one day he just kind of disappeared, And we kept reaching out to him, he really did, but kept getting those same kind of answers, like, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit busy, I'm working now, my schedule shifted, I just need some time, I'll be back, I'm sorting things out, and then kind of weeks went by, months went by, and it was almost like a year, we just had never seen him around for a while. And then he finally came back to church one day, and he walked in, and, you know, of course, we received him lovingly, and, you know, got to unpack a little bit, like, where you been, buddy? And it turned out he had been really low, he had kind of stumbled into some stuff that was really taking his heart. He was struggling with guilt, and then he kept feeling like I'm not good enough to come back. He kept hearing that over again, not good enough, not good enough. He confessed to me one time he came and sat in the parking lot of the park across the street from the church and he just sat there, and he thought, I'm not good enough, you know. But, buddy, we would have loved you a second to come in the door. He told me when he finally had enough nerve to get out of his car and come to the church, and he put his hand on the doorknob, he said it felt like the door weighed 100 pounds. But he came in, and it helped. It revived his spirit. Which is also another reason why greeters are a good thing, to help open the door for people. Because it can feel it really feel heavy if you haven't been here in a while. But this is why it's important to stay active in the church, to not neglect the fellowship. Because here, you will hear the Word of God. Here, you're going to hear great stories like Brett's today, which was so encouraging. You're going to be prayed for, and you're going to have the opportunity to pray for others. And most importantly, you're going to hear the truth of God, In the love of God, which reminds me of uh, part three of how to deal with discouragement, it's keep the word of God sharp. Keep the word of God sharp. Now, you notice that in Nehemiah's work, as they continue the work, he's like, all right, so now they are working with one hand. They got their tools and loads in one hand, but they're keeping a weapon in the other. They needed some offense in case they were again attacked. What we're talking about is spiritual warfare here which we know from like Ephesians chapter 6. Spiritual warfare, though, isn't just war that comes to us from the spirit. Spiritual warfare is that which attacks us in our spirit. And the word of God is a corrective tool. We know that from scripture. And it's also an offensive weapon given to us in the spirit of Ephesians chapter 6. So we have to use it daily. We have to use the word daily to keep it fresh, to keep it sharp. In this way, the the Word of God might be more like self-sharpening scissors, you know, that the more you use them, the sharper they become. I was a really ambitious kid coming out of high school, and I got this job uh, selling knives door-to-door. They were really expensive. I couldn't afford them. But they had these really cool bowling ball handles, and they had three sharpeners on them. One of the lessons, we'd pull up a piece of paper and just slice it, and it would go right through it really in half. It was really great. But the deal sealer, the one that really always brought the house down, was when I pulled the self-sharpening scissors out, and I'd take a penny and just slice it right in half like nothing. That always got the deal going. I I'd sold a couple of sets uh, before I was, realized I'm not very good at selling knives. Maybe you have them, but the coolest thing about these scissors is the more you use them, the sharper they became. That's how God's word is too. The more we use it, the sharper it is, and it starts to work on us. Then it is like a two-edged sword that cuts deep into our heart and it starts to pare away discouraging thoughts and and tendencies or to slice off sinful habits or, or thoughts that attack us and keep us distant from God and distant from each other. The Word of God also stays sharp when we let iron sharpen iron when we read it together in Scripture, which is one of the reasons that we offer home Bible reading groups called Rooted Groups or even sometimes online community Bible studies. We had a couple of online Bible studies that we did here over the spring. It was really great. I, got, I was hoping for like 25 people. I got like 60 of us signed up. We were reading Scripture together on our phones and making comments. It was really great for a while. I'm just being honest. I have a son, and he is just a very dutiful person. I admire that about him, and it's, it's not like me. He's a very dutiful person. And one day he came to me with his phone in his hand. He's like, you know, I'm in three of these Bible-reading groups, but nobody's ever on them after a while. They just drift off. He's like, I'm the only one making comments, and it's a family group, you know, a guy's group, and, and something else. We have to let the Word of God stay sharp in our hand if we're going to have any success in dealing with discouragement. So let me remind you of this also, that unlike Nehemiah, we work for the Lord too, but the work we're doing is already a finished work. It's the finished work of Christ. He died for our sin. It was foretold in the scriptures and he was from his own testimony. And then he was raised again on the third day so that by faith, we too become part of his new creation. And now we hunger for spiritual nourishment to keep us encouraged as we continue the work of building up his kingdom until the great and wonderful day that he comes back and makes all things right again. This, my friends, is the good news. So let me pray before we head into our communion time and join me in prayer right now as we ask God just to be honest in prayer. Maybe this morning you're here and you're feeling discouraged. Maybe it's been external voices.